This is The Top, where I interview entrepreneurs who are number one or number two in their industry in terms of revenue or customer base. You'll learn how much revenue they're making, what their marketing funnel looks like, and how many customers they have. I'm now at $20,000 per talk. Five and six million. He is hell-bent on global domination. We just broke our 100,000 unit soul mark. And I'm your host, Nathan Latka. Many of you who I've met in person have seen my unbelievable dashboards that I built. You know, I'm an analytics-like crazy person. I love the data. And I love presenting the data in beautiful dashboards that my team can use on their mobile devices, their phones, and TVs throughout the office. Now, the way I do this without having to hire a big development team is at nathanlacka.com forward slash analytics. It's using a company called Clipfolio, and I'll tell you more later on in the show how I use them. NathanLacka.com forward slash analytics. Top Tribe, you know I don't have a lot of time to waste. That's why I use FreshBooks to send out invoices and make sure I'm collecting my money. To get your free month, go to NathanLatka.com forward slash FreshBooks and enter the top in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Nathan Latke here. This is episode 626, and coming up tomorrow morning, you hear from 46-year-old CEO and father of two, Mark Mader. He's the CEO of Smartsheet. They raised $70 million, have passed $80 million in annual occurring revenue, and they're helping 65,000 customers with project management. So what's their ARPU CAC and LTV? Tune in to find out tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Eastern. Good morning, everybody. Nathan Latke here. Our guest this morning is Derek Thompson. He's a senior editor at The Atlantic, you know, a big, big, big media company. Many of you maybe have heard of them. His first book, Hitmakers, is about the science of hits in pop culture and technology and why people like what they like. That's what we're going to focus on. He lives in New York. Derek, are you ready to take us to the top? Let's go to the top. Let's do it. Awesome. I, I appreciate you being here, but I have to tell you, People say, you know, don't write a book. All you do is it takes a lot of time and you lose a lot of money. Why are you writing a book? You know, the great thing about a book is that uh, the reason to go into journalism is because you have a lot of questions that you want answered. Uh, and the best reason to write a book is uh, to answer questions. And so I wrote a book about why people like what they like and why cultural products succeed. It's a huge big answer, uh, but I loved writing it. And, you know, the funny thing is um, people say, you know, every book has to have an elevator pitch. Uh, you nailed it right there. But I think books are really kind of like broken elevators. On the one hand, you need both an elevator pitch, but also it's like 200, 300 pages long. So if the elevator breaks, you need to be able to entertain people for eight hours. And that challenge of being able to write something that's both focused, but also entertaining for 300 pages was really awesome. Well, Adam Grant's the fan. He says this book uh, picks up where the tipping point uh, left off. Break this down. Like my audience is very analytical. Did you follow a process to really nail this book out and make sure you have open loops to pull the audience through, you know, any any productivity hacks to actually get all the writing done? How would you actually build this 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 piece, this art, this artwork? Uh, oh, artwork. That's very nice. You, Nathan. Thank you. Um, <laughs> well, it actually well, is very beautiful artwork on the cover. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I think it's a lovely cover as well. Um, so I, and I had nothing to do with that. That was all the, the people at Penguin. Um, here's how I wrote this book, which is uh, uh, not to say how everyone should write their book. I think that, you know, creativity is the ability to come up with surprising answers to familiar problems. Um, if you come up with surprising answers to problems that people uh, don't think about all the time, no one calls that creative. When you come up with 
familiar answers to familiar problems. Nobody calls that creative. And so this marriage of surprise and familiarity that is so necessary uh, for creativity and is in fact one of the theses of my book, which is that that is the dance at the heart of every great pop culture product, is that it is both familiar and a surprise. So as I was going around and writing my book, I... Um, I kind of just like gathered a lot of awesome stories and ideas. I would talk to one person in TV. I'd try to distill their idea to its very most sort of fascinating nugget. I talked to somebody in music and movies and publishing, distill that idea. And writing the book itself was kind of like playing a jigsaw puzzle. It was fitting all these ideas together in such a way that made sense if you step back 10 feet. Um, but the way that I wrote it really um, was to allow myself to be curious about anything that was interesting and think I can make this work if I just collect all the most interesting stuff. So I want to dive into maybe one or two of those stories in, in a couple minutes. But first, we have a lot of people listening right now that are maybe in the media space or or maybe not as big as the Atlantic, but they're thinking about writing their own book. Um, how did you so, so you have an idea? Uh, it looks like it, it sounds like you mentioned Penguin. You work with a publisher. Yeah, that's right. At Penguin Press. Okay. And how'd that process work? So, so were you negotiating directly with them or did you get a literary agent or walk us, teach us about that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I had all sorts of terrible ideas for books uh, a long time ago. Um, and then I got an agent down in DC, uh, Gail Ross, uh, and she was sort of like my proposal doctor. She told me what ideas were terrible and what ideas were good. And just the process of writing a proposal writing a promise for a book um, was its own one, two-year uh, challenge. But then we got that, and then we send out the proposal to a bunch of publishers, and the publishers say, we either don't think this idea is promising, or we do think this idea is promising. I went around, I talked to all the publishers who thought the idea might be promising, and then there's a little bit of a, um, uh, of a, of a bid for the book. Uh, different publishers will put down certain amounts of money, and typically you go with, with whoever agrees to pay you uh, the most. Um, that's sort of the, the, the story of how the book went from uh, no idea to, to being published. Um, but the really interesting thing about, um, about books and audiences is how many different audiences there are for a single book. Um, the publishers, so my agent was my first audience, right? I had to impress her with Why the idea. Why did you pick her, by the way, Derek? Uh, she, I, I picked her because she um, had this lovely combination of being incredibly um, unsentimentally intelligent, but also motherly in tone um, and approach. And I kind of loved that combination. Did she publish somebody else? Approach of, did she publish somebody yeah, else on your team or something? She also she had worked with some people who, who had been at the Atlantic, like uh, uh, Josh Green, I think, is a, it sure. works with her, and, and Megan McCardle. Um, uh, I think Jonathan is an agent, um, wonderful writer. Um, all of them are. Uh, but I think it's interesting just, you know, how many audiences there are. That first, your audience is your, is your agent. Your next audience is your pub publisher. Then your next audience might be sort of like TV producers or people like you, you know, podcast producers. Um, but then your final audience is your actual audience. And I think that, you know, media people uh, can probably become a little bit more sophisticated in the way that they think about how their audiences are both the end consumer and the broadcasters who reach those end consumers. Um, that sometimes they need to think about the audience of their audience in this way. Um, and I try to think about that both in the writing of the book, um, but also uh, in the ideas in the book as well. When did you launch the book? I say that one more time. When was the book launched? Uh, the book comes out on February, came out on February 7th, um, and uh, it, uh, you know, but I've been working on it since maybe 2014. Sorry, last year, February? 
Oh, no, sorry. It comes out uh, this year, uh, 2017, February 7th. Oh, got it. Good. So this we're recording now before that date, but this will come out right. after that date. So I see what you did. Yeah. yeah. February so 7th. Said. Just want to make sure. Good. So do you have any idea in terms of how many how many have sold so far in pre-sales or do, do your publishers keep you in the dark about that? No, I don't really know how many it's sold. I mean, you can you can look at the Amazon rating and sort of uh, sorry ranking um, and sort of get a vague sense of how it's doing compared to other books. Um, but for a first time book author, um, you uh, you know that that rating is going to get going to be particularly high. Uh, Pre sales are easiest for people that have already published really successful books. Um, uh, and so most of the work is essentially done at you know at publication and post. Um, once that happens, then you get a sense of how many books are sold, uh, from BookScan, which is a, a Nielsen product. What did, uh, you, it's, you're not even mentioning an option to self-publish. It sounds like you were always sold on working with a publisher. Why was that? Yeah. I mean, self-publishing is riskier. Uh, it, it basically comes down to that, you know, self-publishing is riskier, uh, because you don't get an advance up front. And as a result, um, if the book becomes pretty successful, then, you know, that's great. Maybe you can get a, a larger chunk of the royalties. Um, but having, uh, an advance sort of truncates your risk dis- distribution, right? Um, if this book totally flops, uh, then, you know, the, the advance still comes, uh, if the book does as well, then I, I have a, a smaller possibility of making some, some is it 20% typical? I'm sorry. Is, do you have a typical twenty percent deal, twenty percent royalty on book sales? Um, so the way the way that the uh, that that book sales make people with advances uh, money is first you, you you have an advance, you have a certain amount of money. Let's say ten thousand dollars to make it uh, really simple. Is that average? Ten thousand dollars. Ten thousand dollars. Yeah, I mean, is that, uh, I, is that I accurate? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Okay. Um, but let, let, I'm just saying for for the purposes of of easy um, duplicate um, easy understanding. Let's say you have ten thousand dollars as a book advance. A little bit of that is paid upon signing. A bit of it is paid upon getting the uh, the getting the manuscript or the hardcover, and then finally the last part might be paid upon um, upon the paperback edition coming out. Um, the book will only make the author royalties um, if it sells more copies than that ten thousand dollar contract anticipates. So you make royalties by exceeding expectations given the advance. Um, so there are some authors who you know might have big advances and not make royalties, but that's still okay. Other authors who have small advances, but then a better chance of making money through royalties, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, hey, I want to jump into one of the ideas you present in the book. But the last question, because I'm curious about how different publishers maybe value the idea you brought to them when Gail kind of pitched them on it. And I think the best way to ask this question is as follows. What was the delta between the lowest advance and the highest advance? I mean, what was the, what was the spread like? I'm curious. Um. I, uh, having talked to my, unfortunately, having talked to my agent enough about this kind of stuff, I've been encouraged to not talk about, uh, the, the specifics of the advance. Um, but I'll just say that, you know, well, Derek, um, just to be clear, don't tell me the, don't tell me the number. You might say though, the difference was 10 K between the lowest and the highest. That could mean it was a million dollar advance or a dollar advance. I'm just curious on the Delta. Sure. I I would say it was, it was, I would say the Delta was probably about, um, probably about, uh, two X. Um, that, uh, but, but that includes people who were sort of in the bid. Um, but there were a lot of people, you know, publishers that I sent the proposal to who were like, this idea doesn't make any sense. We're not going to bid on it at all. We want to publish this book. So I think what's important to, to recognize is that almost every single book proposal, um, uh, from a first time author in particular, um, is rejected. Harry Potter was rejected over and over and over again. 
Um, and this is a tr this is a really powerful point, I think, about people across the entertainment and media landscape, um, is how lucky sometimes these hits are. That Harry Potter was rejected. Um, the the name Led Zeppelin comes from the fact that uh, members of the Who told Jimmy Page that the band was going to sink like a Led Zeppelin. Is that um, story in your book? That story's in the book, of course. <laughs> um, the American Idol, which was the most popular television show in America for a decade, um, and then it birthed this whole uh, uh, industry of um, the voice and things like that. Um, Rupert Murdoch's daughter uh, saw an iteration of it um, in uh, England, I think, in, in Europe, and told her father that she wanted to, to make something like that in the U.S. And Rupert Murdoch um, uh, presented the idea to his board, and they were like, this is a terrible idea. You're insane. Not going to do it. Um, so, and obviously, we know how, that, how it turned out. So every single industry has its own, you know, um, sort of the toadish rejects turning into princes' uh, stories. Um, and they like to tell themselves this because it gives them, uh, I think, the inspirational idea um, that rejects can always um, become hits. Um, you know, you can even look at and forth at the political landscape now and think about the number of people who left Donald Trump off the stage in the early weeks of his candidacy, and now look where we are. Um, so predicting the future of popularity uh, it's a very tricky business, and you shouldn't feel bad about yourself if you're not very talented at it. So you, the title is, or the subtitle is, the science of this. Science, science kind of infers there's an equation or a hypothesis or a mathematical proving or disproving. Are you trying to quantify this so people have a way to predict what's going to work and what's not going to work? And if so, how can you? How, I mean, how do you stand by that? Sure, that's a great question. Um, how can I say that there's a science if I also say that it's unpredictable? Um, well, the easiest metaphor here would be the weather. Um, we understand all sorts of stuff about the weather. We understand how clouds form and how rain forms and at what temperature rain freezes and becomes snow or freezing rain. There's all sorts of things that we know about the weather that make us a lot smarter than, say, ancient Egyptians when they said that gods controlled the moon and the sun. But at the same time, ask the smartest meteorologist in the world to predict the temperature in your zip code in two weeks. And if he's honest, he'll tell you or she'll tell you it's absolutely impossible that predicting a chaotic system too far in advance is not possible. So what, so what I do is I tie together all sorts of things that anthropologists and economists and psychologists and network scientists have told us about cultural markets, why people like what they like, the power of familiarity, the power of repetition in music, um, whether ideas go viral or whether virality is a myth, which is one of the theses in the book, which, which is that virality um, doesn't really exist. Um, these are all true things, I think, about the world and our cultural markets, but it doesn't guarantee us that we can predict the temperature uh, in two weeks. Make Like I told you guys at the top of this episode, I have amazing data and you guys know from my interview style, I love data. But what I love more than data is making it actionable via beautiful dashboards that I can view on my phone, on my TVs in my living room, or even on my laptop as I'm traveling. And the company that I use to create these dashboards, which pulls in data from my Libsyn backend, my Google Analytics backend, Salesforce, and other data sources is called Clipfolio. You can see an example executive dashboard or my social media command center or my web metrics dashboard at nathanlacka.com forward slash analytics. That's nathanlacka.com forward slash analytics. And you can try it there for free for three months. It's Clipfolio. You can try it free for three months. Everybody else has to pay. So you get it free for three months 
Alan's a good friend. He's the CEO of the company. He came on the show. I said, I love your product. Can I feature it? So NathanLacka.com forward slash analytics. Go check it out now. Okay, Top Tribe, as many of you know, I sold Hayo, and everyone is always asking me what my expenses were when I was building Hayo. Well, a big expense was that I spent over three grand per month on financial services to keep me out of trouble in terms of taxes. You know, my mom would always harbor me, Nathan, you gotta keep all your receipts and put them in a freaking box or something to make sure you don't get an audit or things like this. I'm like, mom, I'm a millennial. You think I'm gonna keep all these receipts? I now use FreshBooks. I use their mobile app to take a picture of receipts and it makes taxes a cinch. Additionally, I don't have to hire a $3,000 per month person to manage all my finances. It's like saving so much money and my mom's happy. Additionally, I don't waste a bunch of time creating invoices. I use their templates and I can avoid using Word templates or Excel files. I just use FreshBooks to quickly send out invoices and it works like a charm. To get your free first month, go to nathanlatka.com forward slash FreshBooks and enter the top in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Again, go to nathanlatka.com forward slash FreshBooks and enter the top in the How Did You Hear About Us section. But let's wrap up here with the famous five. The first one is a funny one because obviously you're an author. So besides your own book, uh, is there a book that you're studying or reading right now? Yes. Uh, I just finished Homo Deus by Yuval Harari. It's completely brilliant. Uh, Sapiens is one of my favorite books uh, ever. Um, it's completely thought-provoking and everybody should read it. Number two, is there, a, is there a CEO in the business world that you're following or studying right now? I don't think, I don't see how you can't study and follow uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Um, he's a fascinating person. The company that he's built uh, has no historical precedent, really. Um, but I also think he's been incredibly, surprisingly uh, a clear and empathetic thinker about world events. And I, I would um, love to know what his next decade is going to look like. Is he going to run in 2020? No, but he might run in 2024. Number three, is there a favorite online tool you have, like Acuity Scheduling? Uh, my, I don't see how I could have possibly written this book without Evernote. Um, Evernote uh, is absolutely essential for anybody working on big projects, uh, and it saved my butt so many times no, writing this book. Number four, on average, how many hours of sleep do you get per night? Uh, these days, maybe four and a half. Oh my uh, gosh. Ideally how seven. old are you? I'm 30. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Seriously, you're young, right? You got something. And then, are you? What's your situation? Married, single? Do you have kids? Uh, I have a girlfriend. Girlfriend. Okay. So no, 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 no kids. All right. Yeah. Okay. So la last question, Derek. Take us back ten years. What do you wish your twenty-year-old self knew? Oh my God! What a great question. Um, uh, you know, when I was twenty years old, I wanted to uh, I wanted to work in journalism, but I, I wanted to be an international correspondent. I was fascinated by the war in the Middle East and U.S. grand strategy toward. Um, uh, you know, uh, the Islamic terrorist. Um, and you know, I, when I first got offered a position in economics, I, uh, I, I didn't think that I wanted it. Um, I was afraid, um, of, of how it would, of how hard it would be to, to become an economics writer. Um, uh, I, I ended up with some cajoling taking the job and it's one of the best decisions I've ever made. Um, but I would tell myself at 20, um, uh, to take more risks, um, because, People are fundamentally resilient, um, and they can handle uh, the downside uh, of those risks. Um, what's harder to handle, I think, um, is the regret uh, of, of not knowing what could be uh, if you didn't take that leap.
Guys, there you have it from Derek Thompson. He's a senior editor at The Atlantic, where he writes about economics, labor markets, and the media. He's the author of the now-released book, Hit Makers. Go grab it. Go study it. It focuses on the science and popularity in an age of true distraction. Derek, thank you for taking us to the top. Thank you. If you enjoyed Derek today, go back and listen to Josh McCarter yesterday, the CEO of Booker. He's raised $80 million and did $3.5 billion in 2016 transaction volume, along with $1.5 million plus in monthly recurring revenue, helping 10,000 spas and salons manage their business. It would mean the world to me if you guys got any value from this episode, if you would go leave a review on iTunes right now and then subscribe. You know, I hustle like heck to get these episodes out every freaking day for you guys. And trust me, I love it. I would do it with no listeners. But boy, oh boy, it makes my day and it makes my team's day when we see great reviews and get your feedback. So thanks so much. Top Tribe, I love giving away free money. I feel like Oprah giving away cars and I have something special for you today. How many of you have heard our super sharp guests talk about success they've had with Facebook and Google ads? Well, all of you listening right now, yes, if you're listening, you get $100 in free AdWords. Here's how you get it, okay? Again, thanks for listening. Get the free $100 from Google, right? When you sign up with my website host provider, HostGator. Go sign up now to get your free money. HostGator.com forward slash Nathan. Again, that's HostGator.com forward slash Nathan.